you take your Bibles, let's turn to Revelation 11. Revelation 11, we'll consider verses 15 through the end of the chapter. And this is the seventh trumpet judgment that we'll consider today. We've made a lot of progress through this book of Revelation, and now we come to one of the clearest statements of what this book is about, that this book is not simply telling us the news of the future and told it told to us in a way that we should just be terrified by it and therefore get saved so we won't experience it. Indeed, we should get saved. We don't want to experience it. But this book is telling us much about Jesus Christ. And we've tried to see that all the way through. And some of those themes really culminate in the text before us today. And we see them plainly, how Christ is working through all of this book. And he will bring to pass the kingdom of God. So let's consider this today, my dear brothers and sisters in the Lord, the seventh trumpet. Father, help us as we consider your word today. We ask that it would excite us. We ask that the mere exercise of going through what you intend to do and what you have planned to do through the prophets of old and what you tell us in the book of Revelation will take place. We ask that our hearts would celebrate and desire that the day would come quickly. Encourage our hearts today in Jesus' name. Amen. December 15th, 2007, that was the day I became a married man. And next to my conversion, that is the most significant day in my life. Because when you say, till death do us part, that completely changes everything. And that's still true for me today. Now, some of you have been married for many, many years, many more years than you were single. But you, like I, can remember when you desired to have a lifelong friend, when you met that person, when you dated, when you got engaged, and then when you waited, as it seemed, forever for the wedding to come. But then the day arrived, and you popped out of bed all giddy, and you said, today is the day. Well, the excitement of that time, times a million, is the stuff of the text today. The seventh trumpet at the end of Revelation 11 marks the momentous occasion of the ages. Up to this point, all has been anticipation and preparation for it, and now it has arrived. You say, well, what's that day? It's the establishment of the kingdom of God. Look at verse 15. And right in the middle of it, you see it say, the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. That is where history has been heading. From Genesis, we learn that God made the world, that mankind fell into sin and subsequent separation from God. But God had a plan of redemption. In the fullness of time, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem sinful man. And one day, God will bring his people to himself and destroy the rest. One day, he will rule and reign over all. One day, the curse will be removed. And now, 
Today, he reigns in heaven and over the earth, but he allows rebellion and chaos and suffering. See, during this time, he gives mankind free reign, but he also gives mankind an opportunity to repent. But one day, time will be up, and heaven's kingdom will come to earth. And it's in the sounding of the seventh trumpet and the end of Revelation 11 that heavenly voices are heard. The temple in heaven is opened, and the covenant of the Ark of the Covenant is seen. And each of these contribute to the celebration of the kingdom of God. And this is what we find as we look into the fourth of seven windows into heaven in this book. Three simple points this morning. The first is that the kingdom will be Christ. The kingdom will be Christ, verse 15 teaches us. The seventh trumpet exalts in Christ's conquest of the kingdom of the world. Notice when this will happen. Look at verse 15. Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet. Christ's kingdom will come at the time of the seventh trumpet. The seventh trumpet is the last of the seven trumpet judgments. You perhaps recall all the way back in verse or chapter 8 that Christ gave out these seven trumpets when the seventh seal was opened. That is to say, the seventh seal judgment is the seventh trumpet judgments. And we cannot miss the point that it is Jesus Christ who is responsible for the unfolding judgments of this book. We shouldn't be surprised about that given what was said in the book of John. When Christ said, all judgment is given to the Son, so that all may honor the Son as they honor the Father. And it's through Christ's conquest and His judgment that He is going to accrue to Himself the honor that He deserves. So here's the seventh trumpet. Now, are there going to be any more trumpets? Or are there literally seven trumpets, just as there are literally seven seals, just as there are literally seven churches addressed in Asia Minor, just as there are literally, you get the point. This book is not meant to be taken in a symbolic way, but what it says is what it says and what it means. There aren't any more trumpet judgments because the seventh trumpet is a unique time marker. And we know that because of what the mighty angel said in Revelation 10 about this judgment in particular. This is unique when it comes to the judgments series. We don't have commentary on in particular judgments before they happen, but on this one, there is commentary. Chapter 10, verses 6 and 7. The mighty angel says, There will be no more delay, but in the days of the trumpet call to be sounded by the seventh trumpet, the mystery of God would be fulfilled, just as he announced to his servants the prophets. You know, before Rachel and I married, we sent out save the date cards and wedding invitations. December 15th, that was the date. And when the date finally came, our lives changed forever. And even so, the seventh trumpet was uniquely time-stamped as the time of fulfillment. But I need to make sure that you understand it's different than a wedding day. Because a wedding day happens in one day. And the seventh trumpet is going to involve days, it says. It'll be a period of time. 
But by the end of that time, what the prophets of old foretold will be fulfilled. You say, what did the prophets foretell? Look at the rest of verse 15. There were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of His Christ, and He shall reign forever and ever. That's what the prophets foretold. They foretold the kingdom, God's kingdom, Christ's kingdom. And this kingdom is celebrated by heavenly voices. And that's in contrast to the silence in heaven of the seventh seal. But it's similar to the seventh seal judgment because we don't see any earthly activity. It's just talking about heaven. Given that this trumpet marks fulfillment, we might think if this is the time, if this is it, we're expecting a whole lot of activity. We're expecting some kind of atomic bomb. We're expecting some kind of descent of Christ, the King of Kings, to earth. We don't see any of that yet. That is to say, in contrast to a number of interpreters, this is not the second coming of Christ. There is no mention of Christ on the earth here, ruling and reigning. That doesn't come till Christ comes out of heaven in chapter 19. What the seventh seal is, is a heavenly celebration of what is coming. This is how I imagine it. It's like the morning of your wedding. It's this giddy expression of... On that day, today I'm getting married. That's what this is in heaven. Today is the day. The kingdom is coming. The seventh trumpet is sounded. And they're rejoicing because the time has come. Christ's kingdom has come, and it will come with a transfer of power. Now, a transfer in the olden days would be like people traveling with horse and buggy. We can't remember those days, but I grew up next to Mackinac Island where they had horse and buggy and no automobiles on the whole entire island, so I can well understand this. But if the driver says, will you take the reins, that means in that moment the control of that buggy is changing hands. What we have here is a transfer of power. Christ's kingdom comes, and when it comes... He will conquer the world's kingdom. The kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord. You see the transfer of power? You see, the kingdom of this world is one kingdom with one rulers. There are many countries, there are many rulers around the globe, but there is one God of this world, 2 Corinthians 4.4. And you remember in Matthew 4 that he offered Jesus the kingdom of this world for a small cost. If Jesus would but bow down to him, but Jesus refused Satan's offer, stated that God alone is to be worshipped and served. And the fact that Jesus lived a perfect life, he worshipped and served God perfectly, he earned the right to inherit the earth. And so the kingdom of God and the kingdom of his Christ is the permanent kingdom that is going to displace Satan's kingdom. So together, the Father and the Son are going to reign forever. And that transfer of power from Satan to God and his Christ has been foretold by the prophets. But since we just studied through the book of Daniel, let's go to that one. Remember in Daniel chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar had a dream. And he saw in his dream a statue. And Daniel interpreted that dream for him. 
and he made this point near the end of the chapter, verse 44 and 45. In the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break into pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever, just as you saw that a stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand, and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold. You see, these kingdoms that were described in the book of Daniel through the ages are unified in their anti-God agenda. But in the days of the seventh trumpet, the king's dream will be fulfilled. Christ is going to take the reins of the world. But how is he going to do that? How is Christ going to receive the kingdom? Is it going to be like a gift on Christmas morning? Well, no. We see in 16 through 18 that the kingdom will be taken by Christ. Not only is the kingdom Christ's, but it will be taken by Christ because the elders thank God for the kingdom come. Look at verse 16 and 17. The 24 elders who sat on their thrones before God, we've seen them before, particularly in chapter 4 and 5. They fell on their faces and worshiped God. And they said this, we give thanks to you. Lord God Almighty, who is and who was, for you have taken your great power and begun to reign. They give him thanks because he has taken power and begun to reign. This shows us that God is going to exert his power. He's all-powerful. As we learned in Vacation Bible School, that means he can do all his holy will. Yet for now, he allows people to oppose him and He allows sin to flourish, but when the time comes, he is going to forcibly take the kingdom from the world, and no one is going to be able to resist him. And I was trying to imagine how to illustrate this. What came to mind are worms, and that may be because I've been fishing with the kids as of late. But you think about a worm. A worm makes his way through the dirt as he pleases, and then the kids dig in the dirt. And then the worm has no power to resist the kids as they play. Well, even so, now God allows people to worm their way through the dirt of sin. But one day, God is going to exert his power over them and overwhelm them. There will be no resisting him. God will exert his power. He will also, according to verse 18, pour out his wrath. Look at verse 18. It says, the nations raged. But your wrath came. Now, this verse reminds us of Psalm 2. This is a summary of human history. Psalm 2 says this, Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against His anointed, against His Messiah, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast their cords from us. That is a summary of human history that is trying to break away from what God has created, from what God has revealed. We see this all the time. God created the world, and man says, no, it was a big bang. God created marriage, and man says, no, I'll love whoever I want to love. God created government, and man says, no, I'll burn it down. And most significantly, God sends his son, and man says, crucify him. 
man rages, what is God going to do with man? Well, he's going to respond in kind. And there's a wordplay in this verse. It's not picked up in most of the translations, but you could translate it this way. The nations raged, and your rage came. Man's unjust wrath is met with God's just wrath. You've heard of the phrase, an eye for an eye? That does not mean, kids, I hit you, you hit me. What it does mean is that the punishment should fit the crime. You see, we've lived long enough to realize that the innocent have been condemned and the guilty have been set free. And that's not just. But one day, the wrath of God is going to be unleashed in a just fashion upon man who has been angry with God and fighting with God. So Christ is going to exert his power. He is going to pour out his wrath. And verse 18 also shows us that he will judge his creatures. And the time for the dead to be judged. And for rewarding your servants, the prophets, and the saints who fear your name, both small and great, and for destroying the destroyers of the earth. There's another word play. What Christ is saying is that there is a day of reward coming. And there is a day of retribution coming. You know, sometimes we parents make promises that we fail or forget to keep. Perhaps your dad says to you, we'll talk about this later when we get home. Or perhaps dad promises a popsicle when we get home. And typically, if I forget that, I'm only reminded about one of those situations by my kids when I get home. But we often forget just because we're human. We say things and we don't mean it, but we forget. We don't always come through on our promises. But God has made promises. And we see in the first chapters of this book that Christ made promises to the churches of Asia Minor. Let me just run through these very quickly. It says in Revelation 2, verse 7, this, To those who overcome, I will grant to eat of the tree of life. That one, he will not be hurt by the second death. I will give some of the hidden manna to him and a white stone. I will give authority over the nations and the morning star. He will be clothed in white garments and his name never blotted out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my father. I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God and write his name on him, the name of my God. And I will grant him to sit with me on my throne. Brothers and sisters, are those empty expressions? that are meant to motivate us in a moment. But there's really no future reality? Or are they real rewards? When we look at Revelation eleven eighteen, we realize there is a day of reward coming. And given that's the future reality, Christ counsels the church, and by counseling those churches of Asia Minor, He counsels us, repent. If there's anything the church needs to do, it is to agree with God about its own sin. It needs to forsake its sin. It needs to overcome. The kingdom will be Christ. Verse 15 says, The kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of His Christ, and Christ will take it 
because it says in verse 16, 17, and 18 that you have taken your great power and begun to reign. Now we'll look in verse 19 and see thirdly this morning, the kingdom will be fulfilled by Christ. The kingdom will be fulfilled by Christ. The Ark of the Covenant is going to be seen in the temple in heaven. Now to this point, the seventh trumpet has been nothing but voices in heaven. When you look at the text, you just see a lot of quotation marks with speaking. There's been no action on earth, no actual establishment of the kingdom on the earth. Again, you have to wait until chapter 19 for that to happen. But heaven is rejoicing because the time has come. It's going to take days, but the time has come. The realities are certain. And so certain that they're actually expressed in past tense. The kingdom of God has become, or his rage came. They're said in past tense, even though they haven't happened yet. Now we find that the seventh trumpet introduces more than voices. Look at verse 19. It says, then God's temple in heaven was opened. God's temple in heaven was opened. Why was it opened? There are a lot of reasons why you open something. A store opens so that people will come in and buy. You opened your door this morning of your house so you could exit to come to church. When you got engaged, you opened a small box to display an engagement ring. You see, there are a lot of reasons why you would open something. And the text is going to give us two reasons why the temple is opened. The first one is at the end of this verse. And the second one is in chapter 15. Let's turn ahead to chapter 15. A few pages forward to Revelation 15, 5 through 8. And in the ESV, and it seems the ESV alone, the reference is a little bit hidden. But you see in verse 5 these words, After this I looked, and the sanctuary, that's the same word in our passage in verse 19. It's the temple. All the other translations have it. The temple of the tent of witness in heaven was opened. That's the exact same thing that's said in verse 19, chapter 11. Now read on. And out of the temple came seven angels with seven plagues, clothed in pure bright linen with golden sausage around their chests. And one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls, full of the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. And the sanctuary was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from His power. And no one was able to enter the temple until the seven plagues of the seven angels were finished. You see, the temple was opened so that seven angels bearing the final judgments could exit. The seventh seal and the seventh trumpets the seventh trumpet judgments, they're actually similar. You remember when the seventh seal was opened, there was silence in heaven. You just saw that when the seventh trumpet was sounded, there's great rejoicing in heaven. But what you have in both cases is that nothing is happening on the earth. Everything kind of pauses. But actually, more happened in both. With the seventh seal... Seven trumpets were given, and with the seventh trumpet, the temple is opened so that seven angels can come out with the wrath of God 
which they're going to pour out on the earth. So there actually is content to the seventh trumpet. It is the seven bold judgments. So Christ is going to enact the final judgments upon the earth. That's what we see in the opening of this temple. And as we read ahead, we, we see it's coming. But we anticipated it because of what the mighty angel said, that this was going to bring about the end. We knew that there was going to be some kind of final judgment coming. But the immediate result is in the rest of the verse. Look at verse 19. It says, And the ark of his covenant was seen within his temple. You know, this is the first and only reference to the ark in heaven. It is also the last reference to the ark in the entire Bible. From Sunday school, we know what the ark was. It was a box of wood overlaid with gold on two poles. Inside that were the two tablets or copies of the Ten Commandments. There was a jar of manna. There was Aaron's rod that budded. And on top of the ark, there were the two golden cherubim that were bowed towards one another with their wings covering the golden mercy seat. And we remember that the mercy seat was significant because it was the place of atonement. That's where mercy could be found. And this ark was what represented the presence of God because it says numerous times that God sits enthroned on the cherubim. So as you go through the Ark of the Covenant, it has a lot of realities and significances about it. But we need to notice what the text says about this Ark. It is the Ark of His Covenant. You see, the Ark is a fixture that's unique to the people of Israel. Those who were the covenant people of God. God had made promises to Israel years ago, and Christ will keep that covenant. He is going to act so that all the promises to Israel are going to be fulfilled. He is not forgotten. He will not forsake his people Israel. And we might have expected that given all the the Bible says in promising things to Israel. In this last book of the Bible, Christ is going to make sure to tie up all the loose ends. In his conquest, he is going to fulfill all his covenant promises. And with that, we have another mention and display of God's power with lightning and thunder, earthquakes and hail. And what that is 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 what seems to culminate the series of seven in Act 2 of this book. December 15th, that was the day I became a married man. And I was excited even before I got married. The day came. And likewise, in the days of the seventh trumpet, God's kingdom will come to earth. It hasn't happened yet. At this time in the book, it actually hasn't happened yet. But in the days of the seventh trumpet, it will be. And because they know it's coming, heaven exalts in that day. And we ought to rejoice in the fact that it is coming. Because it is certainly coming. I've just been reflecting on this point in particular Because it is the truth that all need to hear one day at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. And that is a reality that we need to let our neighbors know about and let them grapple with. Their knee will bow one day no matter what. That's also something that you and I need to consider to to realize, is there a matter in our life that we're holding on to? that shows that we're not willing to submit to the Lord and what He's asked us to do? Is there something that we need to repent of? 
and give God glory in. We need to make that right. But this passage encourages us. The world is in chaos today, but one day Christ's kingdom will come. And that's a thing to rejoice in. Let's pray. Father, as we rejoice today in what you reveal to us, indeed we've read it many times as we've read through our Bibles. It's not that you've kept this secret. The prophets of old have foretold it. Christ spoke of the kingdom many, many times. But on this occasion, we get to read about it actually coming true. It really is coming. And Father, whether or not it comes in our lifetimes, you know. But Father, may we be those who bow our knee today. May we be those who submit to King Jesus. Because one day, all those who rage against you will be met with your rage. So Lord, we pray that you will cause us to be good witnesses for you and cause us to be repentant sinners, repentant Christians who humbly live before you. We pray for that in Jesus' name. Amen.